Welcome to Homicide, the podcast. Hi, I'm Kevin. And I'm Brandon. And Homicide, the podcast is for the girls, gays, and theys who love true crime and hate the culture of sensationalizing murderers. Today's episode is titled Black Trans Lives Matter. So my story is about the Rosa Parks of the LGBTQ movement. Brandon, what's yours about? And mine is on um, one of the women who inspired Transgender Day of Remembrance. I love that. And mm-hmm. one thing that I do want to uh, say real quick is, hi, Anna. Hi. Hello. I As can't believe this is the first time your audience is seeing what I actually look like. <laughs> I know. Everybody, this is our producer, Anna. Yes. Hello. She's not just a voice in the background. <laughs> she exists. Yeah. yeah. I'm not She's just a, a speaker. <laughs> <laughs> And we haven't had you um, on because of these holidays and us traveling and you traveling, and it's been a hot minute. So having yeah. you back, it actually warms my heart because I adore you and uh, have actually missed you a lot. Same. So I'm so happy to be back. back. I know. <laughs> yeah. And you're like five blocks away from me, which is hilarious. Um, I know. If you virtually. hear yeah. any sirens that go from one ear to another, it's probably <laughs> the fact that no. the siren is going down the street. <laughs> Hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. New York City is interesting, and you can hear. Oh, these there's sirens. a siren. There you go. There you yeah, go. There we go. Yeah. There you go. We can hear them for blocks and blocks. Uh, yeah. Because they just echo across all buildings, and it's just yeah. You know, and the echoes kind of inside yeah. your apartment. We're just you know, hearing the, the same ambulance from... for five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Now, if you literally... hear, now if you there hear it coming is. from my side, then there's something wrong because yeah. <laughs> why, why is there true. an ambulance or a siren? Yeah, Brandon, where right are you right now? I'm still in Tampa. Yeah, in your office, right? I am in my office. Such a you cute little see office. my lovely background of yeah, tchotchkes. It's, it's beautiful. <laughs> look at the little frame on top. It says fragile. Did you get that from a goddamn box? I did. I really liked the way it was printed. Is that dumb? <laughs> no, it's Look, the font kind of is really cool. adorable. It's really... That is so graphic design is, of you. It is. I know. This is... I thought the font was really cool. Sorry. It is. <laughs> it is really very fun. nice font. I love like, that you put okay, it in the frame. I'm going to frame it. Thank you, you line. <laughs> For and you have our like save the date from our wedding up there. They do. Aww. I guess I have so really for all of those who are listening to the podcast and can't see any of it. Go check oh, out true. our YouTube video. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, all right. A couple of uh, episode notes. And I think that we should just dive right in today. It's going to be a little bit of yeah. a serious ish episode uh, today because we're really going to uh, pay homage. 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 Let's call it homage moving forward um, to some pretty iconic um, trans uh, activists uh, in the LGBTQ movement and and just history overall, which I'm really kind of excited to do about today because I learned quite a bit, um, even as a gay person. Yeah. Well, speaking Um, of learning a bit, I did write down some um, interesting facts that I uh, looked up when I was doing my story that I thought were kind of interesting, if you don't mind me jumping in and sharing. Yeah, just uh, two quick notes before you do that, and that is if you have Sorry, a hometown I'm murder, please uh, <laughs> write in to us at murder at com. We typically will do those on Thursdays. We'd love to hear from you. You can join us on the podcast and tell us. My friend Maddie um, from Colorado joined last time. And then uh, for the, the podcast, if you love us, please subscribe on YouTube. Follow us on uh, Apple and Spotify specifically or whatever platform you're on. And then please remember to rate and review us as well only five stars thank you so much brandon let's dive in to these stats (laughs) excuse me okay cool so um i have did uh do you know that less than half of all murders with transgender victims are solved 
Listen as now. the first step. Yeah. That's so, awful. Right. So um, every year on Transgender Day of Remembrance, um, which is observed every November 20th, um, a new trans murder monitoring report comes out. And I and I took down some of these um, statistics. So this is on a global scale. So last year alone in 2023, there were 321 trans and gender diverse murders globally um, with 327 of them uh, the year prior. So in 2022, Jesus, 90%, I'm sorry, 94% of those were trans women or trans feminine humans. Um, and most of them were black. Um, the Caribbean and Latin America hold the most murders at 236. Mm. Um, and then 48% were sex workers. Man. Yeah. What's interesting too, about those, those specific areas is that they are very, um, typically anti-gay mm-hmm. um and 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 very anti-trans uh unfortunately but um i do want to mention that i do think that a lot of this um gop rhetoric uh about you know the lgbtq community and trans people specifically i do think contributes to um the the heightened oh, hate um yeah so stop that shit fuckers Stop yeah. that shit, fuckers. You yeah, heard it yeah. here. You period. Done. That's it. Just we'll make that. that into a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's in, those are interesting numbers and um, are heartbreaking, and I fucking hate it. So Yeah, no, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and in fact, yeah, just, I don't know, stop killing people in general, but let's definitely yeah. stop uh, killing our trans family members. Thank you. So, uh, Okay. I think I go first this week, right? You do. All right. I started so, last week. It's yours. I titled my episode as per usual, and it is titled, She Was, She Is a Legend. So it was July 6th of 1992, just days after the gay pride parade in New York City, when a fully clothed body was spotted floating in the Hudson River near the Chelsea Piers. The body was pulled from the water and quickly identified as a missing 46-year-old who would later be described by the human rights campaign as the Rosa Parks of the LGBTQ movement. So this is actually the story of Marsha P. Johnson, who by July 6th of 1992 had been missing for two days. So what's interesting is that I went to a lot of places to like read about this. Yeah, and there's a lot with her, with Martha. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and in fact, there is a documentary that's on Netflix that if you are a listener, you should watch. Um, it's, yeah. it's, I think, really well done. And um, I pulled a lot of information in general from that, as well as like the advocate.com, womenshistory.org, and history.com, and, and um, New York history. But um, the documentary is called The Death and Life, uh, the, the Death, Life, my, my Lord, The Death and Life of Marsha. E. Johnson, which is uh, done in 2017 and directed by David Franz. So a little bit of history in general about Marsha, because she was an incredible human. Um, I really wish I would have known her, but also just kind of some history of the landscape of what New York City kind of looked like in, in the 60s um, up until um, Marsha's death in, in 1992, I believe, is when she um, died. So Anyway, <clears throat> Marsha P. Johnson was actually born Malcolm Michaels Jr. And typically I wouldn't do any sort of a, a dead name, but there's some really interesting um, type of uh, historical types of thing, which is why I'm including that. Yeah. So I'm actually really anyway. glad that you just said that too, because a lot of my mm-hmm. research um, 
my my uh story got dead named a lot and there was no no yeah. tying back into anything it was just to be uh, mm-hmm. just to call them out on their dead name which is not something you typically do when you're talking mm-hmm. about a trans human. Well, and what's interesting too is that even in that documentary, um, Marsha's family talked about her and referred to her by her um, gender that was assigned at birth. Yeah, which you know is uh, is unfortunate. But uh, again, I don't. It, you'll see why, uh, which I think is interesting. So anyway, um, Marsha was born on August 24th of 1945 in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Uh, and she was born uh, to the parents of Malcolm Michaels Sr. and Alberta Claiborne. So she was, of course, assigned male at birth and was the fifth of seven children and grew up in a working class family. So uh, Marsha's dad, uh, Malcolm Sr., was uh, on the General Motors assembly line in Linden, New Jersey. And her mom was actually a housekeeper. So what I found to be really interesting here is that Marsha actually grew up in a very religious Christian family and actually remained a practicing Christian for the rest of her life. Oh, wow. Right? Which I was like, I, I feel like that that's shit. not, I did. I but. feel like that's not common for anybody in the queer community. Agreed. Yeah. Well, uh, I shouldn't I mean, say anyone, but for the yeah, a majority a of the queer community. Yeah. Like there's, there's definitely, you know, uh, queer people or LGBTQ people in general that are still very religious. Um, but you know how I feel about religion in general, but, um, yeah, I did think that that was that was interesting. So, Marsha actually also sorry to interrupt. Yeah. It's also the context of being born in 1930 what? 45. 1945, 1945 though. Mm-hmm. I feel like because of the segregation that was still happening, church was such a place for community. Yeah. In a way that it is still but like it can't be overstated how much it's like needed totally. for survival especially, especially for the black community the, the at black that time community. exactly yeah, that's true yeah. um and so uh, interestingly enough marcia wore dresses starting at the age of five and eventually um had to stop due to severe bullying but also because she was sexually assaulted um by a 13 year old boy uh, at that time as well so because of all of that she actually stopped um and uh you know wore normal um male you know masculine presenting clothing during that time what's interesting is that um marcia once she graduated uh high school she graduated from thomas a edison high school uh she moved to new york city like pretty immediately uh with a bag of clothes and 15 dollars in her hand and she was 17 years old oh my god that's uh, so what's terrifying. interesting though is that there's not really it she didn't have a horrible upbringing and it it's not it doesn't seem like she outside of her family it seems that her family wasn't um, uh, didn't really reject her, and if they did, I I couldn't find too much information about it. I thought I yeah. remembered within that documentary there being a little bit of that um, for sure, and certainly by referring to her, um, you know, um, with her assigned gender at birth, you know, you could be, I guess that's really that, but yeah, that's really interesting because we have some parallels with our stories too, and that's mm-hmm. one of them where. Um, the family didn't just didn't care who who the who these people were. They mm-hmm. just loved them regardless, and that's yeah, that's, that's a, what I'm getting from. Like, it's interesting what, where you have the their family, but the greater community can't just accept them. Yeah, when I think that at the time there was, um, you know, New York City, it was kind of like like um, the Castro in, in San Francisco. 
like in the the 60s just during that time i think that that's where people gravitated to because that's where they could be themselves in general so it's likely i'm assuming why she came out to new york city but also she was in elizabeth new jersey i feel like if you're around the area of new york city like you want to go to new york city even you did bran and you grew yeah. up like an hour and a half outside of new york city um so anyway once she arrived to new york city she immediately began referring to herself as black marcia um but eventually changed her name to marcia p johnson what's interesting is that um i don't really know where she got marcia from but she got johnson from the restaurant howard johnson's <laughs> and then she added the p specifically um because it stood for pay it no mind which oh, is what that. she would often say in Aww. general and um i read somewhere that that was technically her drag name um but is is exactly what that is was her name yeah and so, anyway, <clears throat> what's cool is that Marsha was described, uh, Marsha actually, sorry, Marsha described herself, and here's what's interesting and where it ties back to the beginning uh, with me referring to her as her. Um, Marsha described herself as a gay person, transvestite, and a drag queen, and used the she, her pronouns. What's interesting, though, is that it's worth noting that she never referred to, her to herself as transgender. But that was actually likely due to the fact that the term transgender was not commonly used until after her death. So yeah. she likely didn't even know that that was it. So, yeah. well, it's interesting um, how much that's all changed throughout the years. Because even now, yeah. transvestite is more of a derogatory term. It that is. If you're yeah, using I was it, you're ask. using it in malice. Yeah. 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 I was going to ask if you guys know anything about when that changed. Because language is so fascinating mm -hmm. to think yeah. about. And like, By the 80s, when did the norm? There it yeah, started so, to become more derogatory yeah because it yeah. was it was started to use well i think um i think the term transvestite started to become a lot more derogatory i think it was always derogatory but kind of like the gay community starting to like own um you know the f word or like uh, faggot basically i think that that type of also terminology was started to you know the the trans community maybe absorbed it in general but no it was used derogatorily for sure um, but I think that the use of transgender started to come about, um, I think, in the 80s, 90s. I think that even ballroom, um, like the ballroom scene, I think that they referred to themselves as transgender by that time. Um, but uh, Marsha, you know, that was 60s. I mean, of course, she died in 92, so it would have been probably around, but likely she just didn't refer to herself as, as yeah. transgender. So people actually say that it's likely, or not likely, it's, it's more accurate to describe her as a gender nonconforming or nonbinary in general. So I'll refer to her as she, because that is what she referred to herself as uh, in general and, and what uh, kind of documentations um, refer to her as as well, but an important note. So um, Marsha was joyous and creative and enjoyed performing. And Marsha was a gay liberation fighter and eventually became a muse for Andy Warhol. And in 1975, Warhol photographed her uh, for his Ladies and Gentlemen series. And I actually read that when it came out. It came out in some gallery, I think, in the in the West Village. And she took her friends, so I'll go see it. And um, <laughs> she was kicked out of the gallery because they didn't believe it was uh, her. And they were like, you're just a riffraff or whatever. Get out of here. And it was her. <laughs> so fucked up. Oh, my which God. I know. I'm like, assholes. <laughs> um, this lighting on you, Anna, is just gorgeous. Thank you. Sun. The sun is really peeking through the clouds <laughs> right now. Just, I know. Gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> there she um, is. So anyway, um, 
Much of uh, Marsha's activism was actually focused on stopping street violence and advocating for victim justice. So she was reportedly aware of the risk of this work uh, and was actually quoted as saying that investigating assaults by dirty cops could get you murdered. And I'll dive into that a little bit more. But she was also um, a fixture in New York City's drag ball scene and even told an interviewer in 1992, I was no one, nobody from nowheresville until I became a drag queen, which I love. Like, I love that quote so much. Um, and what's interesting, too, I don't know if you've um, seen the show Pose. It was on FX. Oh, it's so good. Um, if you're a listener, go watch it. It is beautiful. It is so well done. And I think yeah. from, from my uh, perspective, uh, which, you know, clearly comes as, like, from a, a white perspective um, and privileged um, perspective, rather, uh, it was it was just really historically accurate or it seemed to be. Yeah. And well, and the I way they that, covered the AIDS crisis in the eighties yeah. was really well done, mm-hmm. especially with the scenes of going to the Island off of New York with all of the bodies mm. that were, um, uh, nobody went, they were just in, buried in pits. And actually yeah. that happened again during COVID. It did. Didn't they reopen those pits? They and did. Yeah. Burying bodies from COVID. Yeah. Uh, which was what? a weird thing to see. Yeah. Yeah, wasn't it, was it on Governor's Island? Like, where was it? That I don't was... remember where. I'm sure we could look it up real quick, but yeah. um, it's an island off of the just off of Manhattan that mm-hmm. um, they bury people who um, uh, I'm forgetting the term. So it was all like um, when when people were dying of AIDS, uh, when they were like unclaimed, you know, unclaimed, a lot that of was, yeah, yes. unclaimed bodies basically because it was a whole bunch of. Um, kids that were kicked out of their homes and Mm -hmm. and forgotten by their families fuck all those people meaning their families Um, but when they were dying of aids there was no one and so no one claimed their bodies so they would like huge mass graves of um gay men that were dying of of um of aids during the 80s into the 90s and burying them out there yeah wow and then they opened that up during covid Mm -hmm. to bury kind of i don't think that they were similarly burying them because they were unclaimed but i think that they had to do it because you couldn't have funerals or any of that shit yeah because so much was going on too i think um i remember seeing it and being like i can't watch that yeah um so but uh anyway there's actually an incredible scene in that mj rodriguez and um um why am i forgetting his name bran kinky boots I'm forgetting his name too right now. Oh my god, he's fucking incredible. Billy Porter. Oh. Yes, yes, Billy Porter. Billy Porter. Um, like, yeah. why can't I, I can more? see I'm him like, in it's my Mike head. All of us. I know. Yeah, I know. Too. I'm like, like oh, Lola. I wanted to call him Lola, but that's not right. Um, very incredibly talented and a, and clearly an amazing human that I would love to meet someday. But um, there was a scene with him and MJ Rodriguez. Same. Would love, love, love to meet her. Uh, where they're at this berry pit, and it is just, oh, it's incredible. So. Um, Go watch it. If you have not seen Pose on FX, please go and watch that. It is incredible. So anyway, back to Marsha. So um, she was a fixture in New York City's uh, ball uh, drag ball scene. Oh, I already said this. Blah, 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 blah. Fast forward. So she was known throughout <laughs> uh, Greenwich Village um, as the uh, Saint Marsha. And she was known as that because locals admired her ability to truly be herself. Um, and she had a reputation of being just incredibly generous and kind, giving people clothes and food, even though she herself did not have much, which I thought um, was interesting. And it's so, always the people who have the least that give the most. Mm-hmm. I know. 
So um, now I'm going to jump a little bit because this is where she ends up in New York. But it's worth describing the landscape of New York and then jumping back to Marsha. So New York City during this time was a kind of an interesting place. So when Marsha actually moved there in 1962, the state was very much um, still persecuting gay people. So um, they would frequently criminalize their activity and presence, just in general, just for being gay. So in fact, solicitation of same-sex relations was illegal in New York City at that time. So it was illegal to be gay in general. So here's an interesting fact, though, that I wanted to include. Um, and this is fucked up. And Brandon... We've broken the law. So here's an interesting fact. There are 12 states that have statutes criminalizing consensual sodomy, <laughs> which, by the way, is worth telling you what sodomy is. because most <laughs> Yeah, I was have, like, I don't know what sodomy yeah. is. <laughs> most people have broken this law in these states. Um, but sodomy actually is anal sex and oral sex. So if you're sucking any dicks I didn't or looking any vagina. I guess I didn't realize it was oral Wait, sex. Wait, 12 <laughs> states? 12. You can probably guess what those like, fucking states I wonder are. why those ever became laws. Like, we should look into That's that. also like, just like, how can become... you... It's so interesting to think about criminalizing things that happen in private. Right? Like, I understand criminalizing things that happen in public. Like, yeah, sure, if you're having anal sex in public, <laughs> we've got a problem. Right? right. Like, on the side of the... <laughs> the but, um, this is the, not right. No, but, like... And, what are we going to like, wrong. wee woo, wee woo, there's a cop coming down the street because they like somehow know that you're well, having you're, that you're anal sex in your own house. home? I, yeah. They're, I, they're going up to every door in the city. Well, there was yeah, so... yeah, listening for it. <laughs> right. So here's what's interesting, though. Here are the states. Florida. Of course. Georgia. Doesn't Kansas. Kentucky. Louisiana. Massachusetts. Which actually surprises me. Um, Michigan, Mississippi, North Carolina, Oklahoma, South Carolina, and Texas. All, All of those, those but Massachusetts don't surprise me. <laughs> Correct. Massachusetts, I'm like, what the fuck? What? Massachusetts um, is where the Salem witch trials were, though. So, correct. Yeah. Oh my God, they were probably you can't be sodomizing everybody then, too. And if, you were, if yeah. you were a witch that had anal, it's even worse. Yeah, you were really <laughs> going up in flames. Um, so awful. But um, I did think that that was interesting. This was this report that I pulled was actually from August of, or sorry, October of 2023 of the current statutes, which none of those have changed. Yeah. Um, 12 states where That's it's crazy. illegal to fuck so, somebody in the ass. So yeah. everyone, everyone is a criminal, literally everyone. 100%. Because here's the thing. I mean, this is what a lot of people don't talk about. It is not only gay dudes who are having butt sex. There's so <laughs> many straight dudes that want to fuck their girls in the booty hole. Right. And if but sodomy also, also includes oral, also sex, oral sex, like everybody is sucking dicks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 100%. <laughs> Everyone is sucking dicks. Come on. That's um, like, that should be on the so shirt. Funny. Everybody's sucking dicks. Everybody's sucking dicks. Sucking yeah. dicks. <laughs> yes, we have two shirts now. Yeah. Great. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I, I thought that was really interesting because I'm like, what the fuck in 2023, 24 yep. that we're in now? Um, this is still a thing. So craziness. Apparently I have broken, well, a lot of, I def Florida. All right. Yep. <laughs> definitely have broken both. Yeah. So, and probably every other state as well on that list. Oh, well. All right. So he's a sleut. Slay. <laughs> Slay. Slay. <laughs> uh, so, um, because solicitation of same sex relations were illegal in New York city, the LGBTQ 
obviously created their own safe spaces to be able to express themselves and socialize without worry. Um, and those places were gay bars and clubs. So what's interesting is New York City, however, had a plan to get rid of all of the nasty homosexuals by of leveraging the New York State Liquor Authority to penalize and shut down establishments that served alcohol to known or suspected LGBTQ individuals. Um, so here's what's interesting about that time as well. They would publicly put you into the newspaper. Yep. You would get fired. Oftentimes these were people who were actually married and had With kids families. too, um, which is awful. Um, but the, 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 the landscape at that time is that they just ruined your life in I general. Just, I don't get why, even if it was illegal, why they had to go that far. What it's like, what else that is illegal? Do people go that far to ruin their life? Like, well, because at that point you're not a human anymore to them. Yeah. Which you is disgusting. I mean? Yeah. So they are actually, here's what this was <laughs> the, the NYPD or, or New York, um, as a state, their argument. This was their argument for why this needed to happen. They said that um, the gathering of homosexuals was just disorderly. That was it. They were like, these homosexuals gathering is disorder. Yeah, and I guarantee um, you most of those people saying that were probably homos themselves. Yeah, they were sodomizing each other in their homes. Yeah. So um, a lot of gay bars um, at that time, though, were um, operating without a liquor license. Because here's something I did not know. Most of the bars in Greenwich um, Village were owned and operated by the mafia. And so oftentimes they didn't have um, liquor licenses in general. So that said, that was just bars in that area. So by 1966, due to activists um, in the LGBTQQ, LGBTQ plus community, uh, the regulations were actually overturned and LGBTQ people were finally able to be served alcohol. Um, but that was limiting, right? So they were able to be served, but together, no. So um, instead they started focusing on gay behavior in public. So if you were engaging in gay behavior in public, which could include holding hands, kissing, or even dancing with someone of the same sex, um, they would go after you. They would, it was illegal. And so that was turned illegal. And so the police were often just continuously harassing um people in gay bars and so their harassment on gay bars like elevated and continued after that so jumping back to marcia um not too long after moving to new york city marcia actually met an 11 year old named sylvia rivera who was a puerto rican transgender girl they became instant friends so sylvia is even quoted as saying that marcia was like a mother um to her marcia taught sylvia how to do her makeup how to live on the street and how to look out for trouble she also encouraged sylvia to accept and love both herself and her identity, which that. is just, that is a mother, right? Mm -hmm. I often, like, I, I think about um, even my limited knowledge about, like, the ballroom scene and and the houses that they created and, and the mothers of those homes who would take care of these, like, discarded LGBTQ youth. Yeah. That is a that is a mother, right? Yeah. Like, that to me is like, oh, my God. Yeah. So, And there's documentaries out there about her as well that are really mm -hmm. interesting to watch. Sylvia? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a little bit more because they're both on video. Sylvia really is, too, because um, they really led some of these protests, But uh, which I'll jump to or I'll get to shortly. 
But uh, Marsha absolutely loved um, wearing colorful outfits and she would make garments that she would find um, or she would make garments from scraps and other clothing that she would find at drift stores or discarded materials on the streets or shit that people would give her. And she was often wearing, and this is pretty iconic, but she was often wearing a crown of fresh flowers, which any kind of mural that you see of her um, and and a lot of pictures too, um, you always see that like, that floral yep yeah um, as soon crown. as you said her name that's how i pictured her yeah, yeah. the image yeah. in my head was exactly that yeah just gorgeous so uh marcia had a hard time obviously when she got to new york hard time finding work um and while she initially found some work as a waitress she quickly realized that the fastest way to make money was to hustle and we all know what hustling means right that um is sex work so she began working as a sex worker uh which was obviously dangerous so she was often in not great situations. Guns were pulled on her, and she was actually even shot once, uh, which was interesting. So Marsha actually spent most of her life without a permanent home uh, and often slept in hotel rooms, restaurants, and movie theaters. But she did eventually find more work performing in drag shows, um, but always continued sex work because that is actually what brought in more money. And so um, with that, Marsha was a regular performer at the Stonewall Inn. And this is where things get, I think, even more interesting or certainly where her life really changed. But I want to dive into the Stonewall. So if you don't know where the Stonewall is, it is on Christopher Street and uh, here in New York City. And it is like I get my hair cut right down the street. It is so (laughs) my hair cut. What did I say? He said hair. hair. (laughs) Sometimes I'm a little country. Sometimes I'm a little Brooklyn and, you know, I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, um, no, the Stonewall is an incredible place. It is so fun during Gay Pride to go and actually sit in front of the Stonewall during the parade because that is like the most hype, I think, area yeah. um, in general. And there's a purpose of why it is because it's like the main kind of strip um, because that is where Gay Pride um, really um, ignited, basically. But so Stonewall, <clears throat> there's some history with Stonewall, which I thought was interesting and I did not know. So the crime syndicate, which was, you know, all these mafia families, um, saw a lot of profit in catering to New York City's shunned gay clientele. And by the 1960s, the Genovese um, crime family specifically controlled much of Greenwich Village gay bars. Um, and so although, like, obviously all of that was not great, I do, and there's some shitty stuff too, but there is something to be said about the crime families seeing some profit um, in, in the gay community. And here's the thing in general, the amount of money that gay people contribute to the economy is so outrageously high that people should focus on a little bit more. Um, but anyway, they obviously kind of got into that. So they, I would say that there's probably something to be said about their involvement and kind of bolstering our community in a sense, it was all done out of, you know, obviously selfishness and, (laughs) and different things, but there is something to be said about it. So anyway, they controlled much of the bars that were in Greenwich Village. So 1966, they actually purchased the Stonewall Inn. And I didn't know this. The Stonewall was originally a straight bar and restaurant. Oh, so in restaurant. Yeah. So when they got it, they cheaply renovated it. And when I say cheaply, like it was not great. Um, and uh, they reopened it as a gay bar the next year. So um, it was originally registered as a bottle bar. And I've never heard this before, but a bottle bar is um, basically something in that time where they didn't they didn't serve alcohol. You had to bring your own, so it was like a BYOB. Uh, but um, 
so that when they opened up the Stonewall Inn as a gay bar, they didn't have a liquor license uh, because it was BYOB. However, they had liquor there, but um, there's some shady shit with that in general. And that was because they, you know, the mafia, there was a lot of um, corrupt cops in general, which is how the mafia was able to get so yeah, big. Um, and uh, they definitely worked with these corrupt cops uh, in general with their with their bars and the Stonewall specifically. So the Stonewall quickly became an important Greenwich Village institution as it welcomed one of the only bars, by the way, that welcomed drag queens um, who I, and I put here who at the time were not very welcome in most gay bars in the area and dancing. And speaking of Pose again, there is a really good part of that show in an episode where they show um, MJ Rodriguez's character going into a bar. And it is horrible. First off, because it was mostly white, like at the time, white gay men were really racist. And, and I would probably say that sometimes still are. Um, and so they would kick him out. They would, they would actually get the cops to come and get, the, like, it was just crazy. Yeah. So, well, I mean, that's still coming. I, I, part of my story I have in here where it's talking about um, uh, when you have a minority group um, um, that is, is not welcoming to, the different minorities with inside of that same group in the LGBTQ community is very big on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for a very long time, gay men shunned the trans community in general. Yep. Yep. Um, and so to a degree, even being a white gay man is still kind of the same as being just a white straight man at the yeah, same you, time. You, you have a, a certain level of privilege that um, are the trans people in our community, non-binary yep. sometimes yep. people in the community and certainly people of color yep. um, do not get. So so anyway, with that, um, the Stonewall was was literally one of the only uh, bars that would welcome drag queens um, and, you know, discarded youth and all that kind of s- stuff. And um, uh, and one of the biggest things that they allowed, which other gay bars did not, which I found to be really crazy, was dancing. At the Stonewall, you could dance. At all these other bars, you, like, were not allowed to, um, which is so interesting. So anyway... Uh, raids were a big thing and that was where these cops would and it kind of goes back to when they would like photograph you and all that they would go raid bars and pull out gay people and beat them and arrest them and all this shit it was horrible so once that that um those regulations kind of dropped in 1966 about the liquor licenses that kind of shifted a little bit but they were very still much prevalent so um oftentimes corrupt police officers would tip off mafia run bars who would then hide all of their illegal activities, stash the alcohol uh, for the ones that didn't have a liquor license, saving the owners, but not the patrons. And so <laughs> the owners of the mafia run um, bar would be fine, but the patrons would be beaten, arrested, photographed, all that shit, which it was shitty. Like capitalism at its finest. Mm. <laughs> so Stonewall was actually, um, stormed a few days before the historic Stonewall riots, but it was an organized one. So the mafia knew what's interesting about what happened. And this is where Marsha really ties into this night, but I'm still going to describe the night in general. Um, is that this was the morning of the early morning. So it's like one or, or maybe it was, I think one o'clock in the morning on June 28th, which if we all know June 28th, that is the day of pride. Uh, June 28th, 1969, um, is the first time that the police raided the Stonewall Inn and did not let the mafia owners know. So they were not tipped off. So the raid came to a surprise to them as well. So when the police came, they were armed with a warrant and entered the club and immediately started roughing up patrons, which is just fucked up in general to me now. But, um, is that your church bells? 
Yes. Perfect time. No. Every hour on the hour. Every hour. Um, so anyway, <clears throat> the police roughed up the patrons and then, of course, found all the bootlegged alcohol. They arrested 13 people, including employees and people, um, which they you know, stated were violating the state's gender-appropriate clothing statute. Drag queens. So female officers um, would take suspected cross-dressing patrons into the bathroom and check their sex. And let's talk about that. Because wow. that same thing that was happening, I'm sorry, when was that? In the 60s? Is exactly what the GOP is trying to push with uh-huh. trans people now. Yeah. It's fucked up. And here's the thing. If you want to do that, cool. I'm going to check yours too. Right. So you, yeah. you know, straight male police officer want to take a trans woman into a bathroom to check theirs. I'm going to fondle your fucking dick too. All right. So it's fucked Period. up. So that's what they would do. Yeah. And it's just humiliating and incredibly horrible and and as a trans person who hates that part of them i just yeah oh my god it makes me so incredibly angry um anyway so uh uh fed up with the constant police harassment and social discrimination angry patrons and i didn't know this either and the neighborhood residents and the buildings around stonewall um hung outside of the bar and rather than disperse like they usually would became increasingly agitated as the events unfolded and people um, and the people that were aggressively manhandled. And at one point, an officer hit a lesbian over the head as he forced her into the police van, and she began shouting at the onlookers to act and inciting the crowd to begin to throw shit. So they started throwing pennies, bottles, cobblestones, and other objects at the police. So within minutes, a full-blown riot involving hundreds of people began. And I'm not going to lie, I would have been there. Oh, 100%. I would have fucking started throwing arms and everything, for sure. So the police and a few prisoners and um, a village voice writer barricaded themselves in the bar, um, which the mob attempted to set on fire after breaching the barricade repeatedly. So the fire department and a riot squad were eventually um, able to douse the flames um, and uh, rescue those that were inside the stone wall and disperse the crowd. But the protests, uh, which involved thousands of people continued in that area for five more days. So um, it was so big that the village voices who published um, the account of the riots in general. So Marsha and Stonewall. So what's interesting is that there was a movie that came out. Um, not that uh, maybe it was a little while ago now, a few years ago. Yeah. About the Stonewall riots. That was so incredibly whitewashed. It, it was so funny. dramatized. It was so untrue. It was was so bad. Yeah. So um, I do think that it's worth talking about Marsha because she's often uh, misrepresented on this day, Mm -hmm. which I did not know either. Yeah. I was actually waiting for you to say something. And I was going to say, I wonder if he's going to bring this part up. I am. So because it's from her own words. So um, obviously that night, Marsha's life changed when she found herself engaging with the resistance at the Stonewall Inn. So both Marsha and Rivera um, arrived at Stonewall at 2 a.m., where, where, where Marsha was actually quoted as saying, the place was already on fire, and there was already a raid happening. So the riots had already started. So they weren't there for the initial part of it. They mm-hmm. arrived during. So um, the reason I'm mentioning that is that there's competing stories about what, John, what Johnson, what uh, Marsha did during the raid on Stonewall. Um, she was definitely at the front lines for sure, but there was often this idea that she threw the first brick. 
Um, and that's actually not accurate. So yeah. I did want to put that in here. And, and these are her own words. And a lot of people like, still get that thing. wrong when she they has, do. there's, she's on recording saying that she was not the one who threw the first. <clears throat> Correct. Yeah. So um, anyway, uh, I think that that night was so incredibly um, unique because it was the first time that I think that the community as a whole and certainly the neighborhood were over were over it and they felt they just had nothing left to lose. Like, fuck this where I'm not doing it anymore. Um, so in the wake of the raid, um, both Marsha and Sylvia, uh, Sylvia Rivera led a series of protests and those are on video, mm -hmm. which I think are really, really interesting. So the raid on Stonewall galvanized the gay rights movement. And at the end, and actually the very next year was the very first pride, uh, which was in um, uh, 1970. Uh, which I think is incredible. So Marsha and Sylvia eventually established something called the Star House, which was a shelter for homeless LGBTQ plus youth. Um, Marsha was also an active member of the Gay Liberation, Liberation Front, um, also known as the GLF Drag Queen uh, Caucus. Uh, I'm sorry, she was an active member of the Gay Liberation Front and the GLF Drag Queen Caucus. So Marsha was diagnosed um, with HIV, which was I did not know either. Um, and when she was diagnosed with that, she actually dedicated her time um, to AIDS activism and joined ACT UP. And if you don't know anything about ACT UP, it is an incredible organization um, that actually was in a show once. Uh, I think it was called The Last Thing You Told Me, where I did, um, I played a, a uh, like a protester um, at an ACT UP protest. And it was incredibly moving. But during the AIDS um, epidemic, I think it was Reagan who was president at the time was ignoring it. Um, and so all of the activism um, of these groups is what um, I think changed it all or certainly got him to pay more attention to it and do something about the AIDS crisis and epidemic at the time. And um, and ACT UP, yeah, it was a big part of that, but they had like silence equals death and they just, it was, it's incredible uh, stuff that was happening at the time. Marsha was a part of that. So um, Marsha was also, this was interesting to me as well. Um, did you guys know that in 1973 that New York City banned drag queens from Pride? No. I didn't know that. No, no I don't think I knew that either. So um, as a result, Marsha um, was actually partly responsible for drag queens becoming a fixture at Pride events because once they banned that, she was like, fuck y'all. And she marched ahead um, of it anyway, shouting, darling, I want my gay rights now. She was such Which a I'm badass. Like, she was a fucking badass. <laughs> she was straight badass. to the point. Darling. <laughs> yes, darling. I love it. So let's talk about the murder. Um, so we're kind of jumping back to that July 6th of 1992 um, <clears throat> when she was found on the at the Chelsea Piers. So at the time, the Chelsea Piers were like not great. Um, it was where a lot of people would go for um their sex work they would also go in uh, a lot of gay men it was like the place that they were able to go and like have sex and stuff and um so it was just not it was not a part of new york city that was taken care of in general now like the new york that we know today was not what new york was in the 80s and 90s at all um and so um it's said that she was last seen on july 4th at hudson river pier um and so when her body was pulled two days later from the river she actually laid on the sidewalk for two hours waiting for the coroner. And so um, once they got there, 
uh, and you know did their stuff. They and they ruled her death a suicide. So her her death was ruled a suicide by the New York Police Department, even though it was very widely accepted in the gay and trans community that she was likely murdered. Um, she wasn't suicidal at the time of her death, and this comes from like witness accounts and friends and all this kind yeah. of stuff. And and suicide, as we know, is like. It's a difficult thing. And there was even a note of somebody being like, people who, who die by suicide, they leave a note. And so there's no way she would have done that. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not always true. Um, my friend who died by suicide did not leave a note. So, yeah. you know, that's not always um, accurate. But regardless of that, she was not suicidal at all, right? So with that, um, there are some things that people think could be. Especially she died, she died of drowning, in general. Um, in the documentary that I talked about that was done in 2017, there's a corner that comes onto there, which I'll talk about in a minute, which I think is interesting. But um, it was considered that she may have been on drugs and hallucinated, falling into the river by accident. And remember, the Chelsea Piers were horrible then, so you could just fall through the pier um, into the water. It was that bad. And there's some video of like people walking onto the pier, and there's just like holes of what... Like, it's so crazy. It was bad. So... Anyway, they're say, they say that that could have happened um, or that she even jumped in the river to escape people harassing her um, and then drowned. But there were reports from people that say that they actually saw uh, Marsha in a confrontation with people who were known to rob people in the area. And there's this guy named Benny Tony, um, who's a community member. He's a member of the LGBTQ plus community, said that he saw Johnson arguing with a neighbor with facial scars, who was known by the name as Michael, and that Michael was hurling homophobic slurs at her. And um, uh, Benny added that Michael, who he actually described as having like a really quick temper, pushed Marsha and really seemed like he wanted to attack her. Um, and so he later alleged that he heard this Michael guy bragging in a bar that he killed a drag queen named Marsha. So Benny um, also told an investigator, um, I believe in interviews, um, um, or no, some, somebody that ran this, this specific thing, this memorial called the People's Memorial, that the next day um, that he heard uh, Marsha had been drowned and that um, the first thing that came to his mind was that guy, Michael. So he went to the police and reported the suspect, but the police department never followed up on that lead. Yeah, of course, because they wouldn't do anything. Correct. So there's also been speculation that Martha could have been murdered by the New York police department because at the time of her death, there was a marked rise in violence against LGBTQ plus people in New York that were perpetrated (laughs) perpetrated, (laughs) uh, by police. And, um, uh, what's interesting about the the police vi- or the violence for cor- from corrupt uh, police officers is that it was so easy for them to just hide in the shadows, right? When they've done something like that, so that is something that that they say could have happened. So um, now, kind of going back to that corner, who is like a celebrity corner, and I was trying to find his name and I could not remember it in general. Um, but it's in that that twenty seven documentary on Netflix. But he actually studied the autopsy and all this kind of stuff um, with friends of, of Marsha's who's really been trying to lead this to this case to be reopened. <clears throat> and he actually said that Marsha went into the water still alive and breathing and that there's actually no evidence of violent assault, no damage to her brain, 
and she didn't have a hole in her head. It was actually an injury that came after death, which was uh, her body being in the river and starting to decompose um, may have hit like a rock and peeled her skin. And so like that was kind of the the thing that may have happened. So, um, and I noted here again that the Chelsea Piers were really dilapidated, so she could have just simply fallen in and drowned, but it's likely that she was probably murdered just because of the the, the context, the historical context of the environment and, and her activism and all that kind of stuff. It's likely that that's actually true. So just some important dates. Um, 2002, the NYPD uh, changed Marsha's official cause of death to undetermined instead of suicide, finally citing a lack of evidence that Marsha took her own life. Ultimately, I think that that can be ruled out in general, right? Most people don't um, die by drowning with suicide in general. You know, they they can if they like jump off the Golden State Bridge, right? Like that, yes. Um, If they don't die from the impact. But you're typically not jumping off of a pier that's close to the water. Like it just 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 sounds... That would be like... Why? It would just be such a long death. Why would you... Yeah. Yeah. And for somebody who was not suicidal at all and you know the experience that i have with suicide is is quite quite deep unfortunately not not me personally but my best friend who kaylee who had um, passed away by suicide um she was quite suicidal i mean we talked about it the morning of that that when she um when she told me that she wanted to kill herself and it's this was these these attributes to somebody who was suicidal were not marcia did not possess those so um uh, so 2002, so 2012, the New York City Police Department finally agreed to reopen the case. Um, but uh, what's interesting is that it actually still remains unsolved today. So 2016, Victoria Cruz uh, of the Anti-Violence Project also tried to get uh, Marsha's case reopened and succeeded, obviously, um, in gaining um, access to previously uh, unreleased documents and witness statements. So she sought out the uh, new interviews with witnesses, friends, and other activists and police who had worked on the case or had been on the force at the time of her death. And and that is whose work is in the 2017 documentary, uh, which is interesting. And you got to watch it. So June of 2019, New York City announced its plans to build two monuments honoring the late Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera for their lifelong commitment to ending oppression for marginalized communities. And in 2019, the same year, um, or I'm sorry, and in 2020, rather, uh, New York State named a waterfront park in Brooklyn after Marsha. So, anyway, that is the the story of again the Rosa Parks of the LGBTQ movement movement and somebody who I said she was. She is a legend, and that was Marsha P. Johnson. Well, that's it. That was a good one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, good in the sense that that it was a. I don't know where I'm going with that. It's not, I mean, yeah, it's no, it's, uh, it's, yeah. it's nice and kind. I mean, there's two sides of it of like, it's horrible that there's no justice in yeah. this story. Yeah. But it's also lovely to hear a story that is about the victim, you know, yeah. like. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's not about the murder or what they did or who they were or anything about it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I think that that, I think it's often. The victim is so overlooked. And I, I was watching a 2020 last night and, and they said in there that when murder happens, the pain and the aftermath are on those of the living because the, the, the person who's dead is, is gone. They're, it's yeah. done. And so I think that that's often why we um, 
sensationalize the murderer oh, yeah. and not pay the right tribute to the victim because there's so much more information in beef and meat to yeah. the murderer. Because people um, want to know why. Why do they do it? What, I agree. Yeah. What and, got and, them to that place and all of that. Yeah, and I think sometimes it's just based in fear. It's scary. Murderers are fucking scary. Yeah, Murderers it's kind of scary. the idea of if you understand enough about why that happens, then you can make sure it doesn't happen to you. Yeah, you, know? you can avoid it. You can see the signs. You can, you know, whatever it would be. I I was on the train this morning to go get my hair cut. And um, I was on the one. And the train started to empty the further down I got, right? Because I went to Christopher Street right by Stonewall. Um, to Jack's Barbershop. They're fabulous if you want to go. They are not promoting this, but they're great. Anyway, um, <laughs> as I'm going down there, the train kind of empties, and there's probably six of us on there, and across the way, this big guy just starts laughing, and immediately I was like, mm, <laughs> do I need to get off and go to a different train um, in front or behind or whatever? But I think it just turned out that he thought something was really funny, and he was just <laughs> really laughing really loud. But it's it's interesting that I started to evaluate the situation and think, why am I feeling that way? Yeah. Is it weird for somebody to just bust out laughing? Yeah, a little bit. And then I'm like, but he has headphones on. He's allowed to laugh. And it was normal. Yeah. Like it was, it ended up being normal, but my mind went right to, mm. hmm. Yeah. Uh, which I think is, is interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's like fight or flight. I know. So, um, all right. Well, <laughs> Brandon, what's yes. your story to support? Our episode yes. here. So yeah. I actually titled this one today mm. for the first time. No, not the first time, but anyways. Uh, <laughs> mine today is titled, She Was Always Known as Rita. Oh my God, I love that. Yeah, so Rita. my story is on the story of Rita Hessler. Okay. So on the night of November 28th, 1998, one of Rita's best friends, Brenda, sat idle as she waited um Rita's arrival at her apartment in the neighborhood of Alston in Boston, Mass. Earlier that morning, while Rita and Brenda were playing racquetball, they planned a watch party for a figure skating competition that was airing um, that evening. Ending around noon, they said their goodbyes, which was more of a see you later, um, and they went their separate ways. I'm sorry, uh, for, what year was this, Bob? I'm sorry. 1998. 1998, okay. Yep. So for those who knew Rita... They knew her as this vivacious, full-of-life woman who um, that loved uh, to perform, uh, known for her singing and dancing and poetry. She would often be seen performing locally at various different gay bars and straight bars in Boston. Um, from what I've read, Rita seemed like the perfect friend and people loved her. I mean, everything that I saw was so positive. There was not one lick of anything that was like would make you question her oh, at all. Rita. Yeah, so naturally, it would be no surprise that before going to Brenda's house that she would make um, a quick detour. Um, and so now I've seen a couple different stories about what happened next. So I'm going to say them both, but I'm not 100% on either. Although I saw the same two stories on multiple different sources. So so for, the, for um, a few sources said that around 4 p.m., it's noted that Rita called another one of her friends um, and... Um, and the person that she contacted was also a trans woman. Um, and from what I see, um, she was afraid to go on record due to the nature of the murder. Uh, so I don't have a name for who this friend is. But she called this friend to meet her at, the lo at a local dive bar called the Silhouette Lounge, uh, which was just a few blocks away from her apartment. With the plan of meeting at 7, um, they both went on with their afternoon um, separately. So then 
So then come 7 p.m., Rita's friend was on her way to the bar, and she's quoted on an article in NBC News saying, I walk to the silhouette, and I see her um, I see her street was blocked with cops. And I'm like, what happened? And I have, and I, and I have a bad feeling. Um, and that was the first report, right? So this one's quoted in articles, but then um, this next one um, uh, was on a report from the Boston police saying that um, the report stated that Rita went to the Silhouette Lounge sometime before 5 p.m. Um, and she was seen um, last leaving the bar around 5 p.m. that day. So mm. she either was leaving the bar at 5 p.m. or she was going to the bar at 7 p.m. It's one of those two. They were pretty different. so different that I didn't pretty know different. what to go with. Uh, yeah. And I like jumped back and forth a few times. I'm like, I'm just going to say both because then it's one of those. Yeah. So, um, um, where I just lost my notes. <laughs> so Rita may have never made it to the silhouette lounge, uh, but she definitely did not get to Brenda's home that evening. Uh, for Brenda, so she, she, she either did or didn't make it to this lounge. Yes. But she for sure never she made it. She definitely to Brenda's didn't home. make it to Brenda's yeah. home. Okay, okay. So from, for Brenda, she didn't really think much of Rita ditching her. Uh, Rita was the life of the party, and there was more than one occasion where she may or may not have met a man at the bar um, and ditched her friends. Uh, Brenda this was sounds sing- like my friend Dustin. Oh, for sure, right? For sure. Yeah. Remember that night that you came to meet me at yeah. the Ritz, and you were like, and I it was, was like, like one of the, with me. Yeah, it was one of like the first nights Kevin asked me to go to this bar with him, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm here with my friend. You should come." And I said, "Okay, I'll come." I get there, and it's only Kevin at the bar. I'm like, oh, "Yeah, okay, where's your friend? friend?" Was here. He was here. <laughs> But we just saw him not too long ago. Uh, no, he, he oh, you know what he did actually? So he would leave me a lot. Actually, he's like, I met somebody I'm going to go. And I'm like, you motherfucker, we just got here. But um, there was one night when I had just moved to New York City and he lives in Denver now. He's from Atlanta. But he, um, uh, I met him through a mutual friend who I went to high school with. Anyway, long story short, he came and moved to New York City for like six months while I moved to New York City too back in, in 2010. And um Anyway, when, when we were here, he had this little party. And I think I had met you already, Brandon, right? Because yeah. I made out with that other dude accidentally. Um, we weren't dating. Well, we weren't dating. It was fine. <laughs> what? I did. I was drunk. <laughs> His name was Craig. He was a cutie. But anyway. Craig. Um, Craig. Craig's. Anyway, we went to go to the Ritz. We were at his house. We took a cab. And apparently I got way too drunk and made out with some random dude in the cab. And then got out of the cab and immediately started to projectile vomit my pad thai oh, from that evening. Classy. And um, uh, they left me on the street. And it so took rude. me two and a half hours to find my way home. Wait, who left home. you? My friend. Okay, not your friend. <laughs> I know. So this is, rude. So this is Craig or this is? No, this is Dustin. No, he made okay. out with Craig. Dustin, if you're listening to this. That was shitty. Mm. <laughs> yeah, we talked about it the last time that we saw him, and he was like, you throwing up in the corner. It was gross. I'm like, right, right. Help a so friend. I'm just going to let you out of your mind to, like, figure out where how yeah. to did. I And, I, and that was, was like, horrible. when you, like, had just recently moved to New York. Remember you didn't that know your storm? way around? No, and that sto- snowstorm was so bad that the snow had piled over the cars on the, on the curbs. And so when I finally got – it was horrible, but I basically – Found my way eventually to a train, but then had to throw up and got off the train. I don't even know what train I was on. Got up to the the top and I was like, can you just take me to like 142nd Adam Clayton? Because I lived in Harlem at the time. And um, it was horrible. I basically was able to pay 
this was mostly when it was like cash. I, I think I just cash and whatever. I paid and I opened the door onto the big mound of car snow and just threw up all over the car snow and was stuck on the like car snow for a hat. It was awful. It was fucking horrible. And we laugh about it now. But Dustin, yeah, he that his little bitch ass, he used to leave me all Dustin, the that time. is shady as fuck. No, that is wanted, so shady. He wanted, he wanted that dick, so he he got he got it. <laughs> well, <laughs> fucking dick. Anyway. Okay, so well, just was, like Dustin, yeah. uh, Rita was very similar, um, and okay. Brenda um, was thinking that 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 was what happened that night. So she just tucked in for the night, not really thinking about mm-hmm. anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, so what? Neither of these friends, well, definitely Brenda and this other friend, if she is real or not, um, what they didn't know um, is that a short, a, a, just a short amount of time later or earlier. Um, then seven, one of Rita's neighbors called the police to report a disturbance inside of Rita's apartment. Hmm. So from here, the story shifts a little bit. So I want to switch over and just talk about Rita for a little bit. So Rita Hessler was born November 30th, 1963 in Hartford, Connecticut. Hmm. Uh, She was one of, and she was one of five children. Um, From what I read, they were all pretty close. And according to her sister, Diana, um, Rita was always known as Rita. She would never really had a coming out. She just, she just was who she was and everyone accepted her for it, uh, which is, yeah. I feel like very uncommon, which is yeah. why it's interesting that yours was as well. And it may be just be a black community um, um, idea that you don't just shun somebody out of your life because you well, disagree with them. It's a very I, white I thing to do. <laughs> yeah. But I think that there's maybe, uh, I mean, I don't know. I there's probably similar stories on all fronts. Oh know, yeah, for uh, sure. You know, depending on I don't know whether it's race or or not. But it, that's interesting that two of the stories that yeah, um, the were same. both yeah, people of color and yeah. yeah. So uh, one of her family members, um, Eartha Hester, even said that people re- rarely talked about being uh, Rita being transgender. Uh, she was just a woman, a passionate artist, and a world traveler. Uh, she was just Rita. Uh, they they would say and from what i saw on a few different articles which i thought was really funny and odd uh that they would pair these two together and there really wasn't much information about it but i just thought it was really funny um that rita was even known to jet off to greece frequently for vacation um Um, she also had a cat and a pet boa constrictor (laughs) i thought in in like numerous articles, they it was quoted just like that. She went to Greece. She had a cat and a boa. As a I feel like, and I'm like you're not random. You, you don't fuck with somebody that has a boa constrictor. I agree. You just don't. Yeah, I agree. No, like uh, <laughs> yeah. But also a, a a cat and a boa constrictor. I feel like that boa constrictor wanted Would to eat, eat, that wanted to eat it. Right? Yeah. Right. So eventually, living in Hartford um, was not really for her anymore. Um, it wasn't a welcoming city for trans for a trans woman in the eighties um, and nineties. But but again, it's really is there's not many places to this day that are really um, safe places for trans humans. Anyways, oh. um, so deciding to move close to friends, she would always visit. She would often visit in Boston. Rita decided to pack up and move just over a hundred miles north. Um, and although Boston wasn't a better spot to be in. She had built um, a pretty big community around her there. Mm. Eartha told the advocate um, that Rita was the type of person who would walk her friends home uh, from the bars and wouldn't let anyone travel alone because she was very protective of people. Um, She also got really involved in the rock scene in Boston, often hanging out at local straight bars, which 
uh, again, as a trans human, is something that you have to be very cautious of. Um, and many people who are close to her were really worried for her uh, because she was so boisterous and she put herself in places that could get her in danger. Yeah. So on November 28th, uh, when Rita was supposed to be headed to the bar to meet a friend, something, something happened. Um, so according to the neighbor's account, now we're back to November 28th, she mm-hmm. called to the police about the disturbance in Rita's home around 6.20 p.m. She said to the reporters that it took them a long time to get to the house. Although the back door was open, although the back door was open, so they were at the front door having a hard time. That's what it sounded like. Um, but there was the back door was open, so they easily could have gotten into the house to get to yeah. Rita sooner than they did. Um, with the neighbor's account, they did not get to Rita for about an hour after they called after they, didn't they go were check. dispatched. Uh, yeah. So now the police do tell a different story, and so. Many of the bigger, yeah, and many of the bigger articles that I found, like from bigger news sources, tell the police account, not the neighbor's account. So, according to the police, uh, their records uh, report that um, that the they the police responded to a call at six twelve at Rita's home, um, and somebody was dispatched seven minutes later. However, um, we don't know for certain. Um, we do know for certain that an hour had passed between the time the police were dispatched and, the, and an ambulance took Rita to an emergency room at Beth Israel Hospital. So whatever the real story is, um, which I'm sure is probably the, the neighbor's account, um, the timing was really off. Well, I think there's a history of cops covering up their misdoings. Oh, 100%. Wrongdoings. 100%. Right? Like, so, yeah. And the major news out, outlets are going to go with their factual sources, what they deem as factual sources, which would be the police account. Correct. Um, yeah. So that's why that's, I wanted to add yeah. that in there. Um, I'm glad that you did. I, yeah. I think that there's there's something to be said about um, these types of situations when, you know, because who who has something to lose if they are if they haven't done something right? That would exactly. be the cops, right? Exactly. So why would a neighbor be not telling an account correctly? Exactly. So by the time police got there, uh, Rita was not in good shape. Um, when they arrived, they they did not see any forced entry and everything to seem to be in place. And it didn't look like a burglary gone wrong. Except um, for her open back door. Yeah. However, they still neglected the back oh. door somehow. Right. And I didn't see a lot of information about that in general. But from what I did see, it looked it seemed as if they didn't really do a very big investigation at all. Yeah. Um, However, as the police walked around, they did see a couple little weird things like they saw that um, the phone had been ripped off of the wall um, and that there was a half a shoe print, which was not Rita's in blood pooling around the ground. Um, um, But there was also blood everywhere. Um, That night, someone entered Rita's home um, and most most things she let them in um, and there was some sort of altercation again because there was no broken doors or windows. But again, there wasn't a really big investigation that happened. Um, so they don't, we don't know what really happened. So that night Rita was attacked and stabbed over 20 times inside of her home. Um, uh, yeah. From, and from what I, what the reports said, the scene was, was pretty gory, uh, but it looked like she was defending herself. Uh, Cause she was a very tall human. Um, she was over six feet tall and, and anybody who is going to be attacking you, if you're that tall, um, you're she put effort into fighting back and that's what it seemed like so yeah when the uh, police got to rita she was in cardiac 
cardiac arrest and they rushed her to the hospital um, where she then uh, passed away. Um, and unfortunately, to be November, stabbed that many times and to not just be dead. Like, yeah. And so there were some yeah, articles yeah. that said, what, what actually happened? Did she die of cardiac arrest or did she wait there so long that she bled out and she just died from bleeding <sighs> out and had cardiac arrest because of that? Which I mean, that's why she Which had is cardiac what happened. arrest. I'm sure because your blood is. Yeah. Yeah. And if they got to her quicker, would that have happened? You don't know. Um, or, the, you know, I mean, you could always think that maybe they did get to her quicker and they, quicker and they were like, oh, she's trans. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Let's take our time. Um, and it's sad not because November that, I'm not saying that that is what they did, but it, it could have 100 percent. Yeah. Um, uh, the sad part is that November 28th was just two days before her birthday as well. Okay. Yeah. So from here, the police and news outlets at the time were pretty fucked up. <laughs> uh, to say the least. Um, in all of the articles I read, um, this is where the lack of understanding and respect for other uh, another's lives, no matter if you agree with them and how they live or not, can cost somebody their life. So the news would constantly misgender and dead name Rita. And for those um, who are paying who are paying attention, Rita was no was always known as Rita. No one called her anything else. So to me, I don't really understand how it's so easy for them to be so transphobic. So when, I think people purposely do it. Oh, 100%. Like, like because they're trying to belittle like, them and make it seem like it's... it's. Yeah, but I think people are often like, I don't understand that shit. So I'm going to call you what I, I think you need to be calling yourself. Exactly. Like, it's I, just, I think people just feel this like desire to... Be shitty. Correct somebody else because they think that they're right. And it's just yeah. like... Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, there was news articles and headlines with descriptions um, like a few that I'm about to read. So mm. one headline was friends of murdered transvestite recall pal mourns loss. Um, and that was on the Boston Herald by Ann uh, Donlin, I believe is how you say her name. And if you're still alive, I hope you've worked that out. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. There's more. Uh, the Boston Globe and the Boston Herald was quoted in calling Rita a man who uh, sported long braids and preferred women's clothing. Um, and they both labeled Rita as a transvestite. And again, which uh, is a derogatory term mm-hmm. uh, to call a transhuman. Um, and then uh, the piece that is to me is the worst. And uh, I, it, it, gave, it made me pretty angry reading it is there's an LGBTQ newspaper in Boston called Bay windows, uh, which reported Rita as a transgender man who was murdered. Uh, they even put her name in quotes as if it was a nickname. Um, in other articles, they also dead named her and called her a man, um, all which they refused to update when asked by the friends and family. The editor, Jeff Epperly, was quoted in saying, Rita may have been killed because she's she was a man who lived as a woman. Therefore, I insisted that her status as what I saw as a man living as a woman w- was germ- uh, germane to the story. He gave some bullshit um, that he followed guidelines of newspapers around the country, which recommended that reporters use the person's dead name as their birth pron- and their birth pronouns unless they had undergone surgery. Was, um, this, a gay- was this a gay man? Um, I would assume so because he's running an LGBT magazine. In the, and his in name the was Jeff? Yep. Um, yeah. Fuck you, so, Jeff. Yeah. So this is what I have, and I have in here, um, and this is why there's issues in the LGBTQ community. Yep. Um, they should have been the front runner of yep. how to speak about our community. 
um, they should not break. They should be breaking the barriers, not following the social norm. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, Jeff has come out since then and said that his decision for that is indefensible. Um, But to me, it's too late. You can go fuck off, Jeff. You can go. I'm glad that you're you're you know recognizing that now that everyone else has. But yeah, um, you are part of the problem. Yeah, and also the description. One of them was like a man that sports long braids and whatever it's just really interesting to think about how journalism and the media has such a power to shape the way that you think about things Mm -hmm. and it's so frustrating because when somebody sees that headline and doesn't see anything like it's Mm -hmm. it's so asinine and like doesn't make any sense to call her a transgender like man but to not even put transgender in there and to just say a man who sported long braids and then people won't even like read past that if they have and they're gonna immediately think oh sexual deviant gross yeah they deserved it like that's yeah it just is like it's shitty well and that's why that's why i think why even in our current environment you know outlets like fox news are so fucking horrible um, because that's exactly what they do they play they played to that that specific base, base yeah. um, and to to craft some sort of narrative to support, um, you know, their overall conservative views. It's well, fun. it's yeah, because it, that just plays into this idea that being transgender just it doesn't even exist. So for yeah. me to even say yeah. the word transgender yeah. would be making it real, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Aye, aye, aye. Yeah, so from here, um, the police weren't much better. Um, From the onset, it seemed as if they didn't take the murder of Rita as seriously as they should have. Um, They were consistently misgendering Rita and not doing thorough investigations. The police also, um, instead of going to Rita's mother, Kathleen, to tell her about Rita's death, uh, they called her on the phone to tell her. Uh, And when they did, they told her that her son had been murdered. Mm. Um, why they decided to do it like this is beyond me, but it to me it shows a lack of compassion for humanity. Um, and I think it's super fucked up. They had to check something off a, a yeah. list. Now, Kathleen yeah. was a very prideful human. Um, once hearing of the death, Kathleen, um, and Rita, Rita's siblings and Brenda, uh, Rita's friend, went to the house after the in the and I have in quotes investigation. So I'm sorry, up. Kathleen. Ka- Kathleen is her mom. Right? Yes. Yep. Okay. Um. Uh, they went there to clean up um, with the brunt of the cleanup done by the siblings. Mm-hmm. They wanted to protect Kathleen from seeing all of it. However, it's quoted to say that during the cleanup, uh, Kathleen did find a bloody sandal. Um, but I don't even like, I don't even think the police did anything with it at the time. Of course not. So Brenda is also quoted um, in an article on WGBH saying um, that was such a nightmare. Somebody had gone there earlier and had flipped the mattress on the blood and hidden as much blood as possible, but we didn't hide it all. Um, the mother found a bloody sandal and I remember her breaking down, which is just oh awful. She also said, um, and police said they took everything that they needed to take out of the house. We just don't feel like they really needed to do. I'm sorry. Uh, we just don't feel like they felt they really needed to do a thorough investigation. And now one shitty piece on this is that a lot of the reports state that the family didn't have enough funds to get the house properly cleaned. They stated that since the police did not clean the, since police don't clean up crime scenes and the family had a lot of funeral costs, 
um, that they um, did it themselves. However, and, and that was in a lot of the stories I read. However, from a comment I saw on a podcast recording from Criminal, uh, Criminalish, um, it's another podcast, a true crime podcast that did this story. One of the one of Rita's siblings commented on their story and said, as far as cleaning my sister's apartment after the murder, it was my mom's decision, not because of money issues. Money was never a factor. She felt she didn't want anyone to see her daughter's apartment nor clean up our blood. I am my sister's keeper. So to add like extra insult to injury, the media is going, putting out factless information, saying that they didn't yeah. have money, which makes it just even just more shitty. I'm really glad that, that she went on and, and commented, though, to, to yeah. kind of offer that. Yeah. Yeah. And they handled it really well. Their messaging in there was really nice to them. Um, so anyways, now um, on to who killed Rita. So because of the nature of Rita's death, many believed that it must have been someone who was close to her, being that uh, the person um, stabbed her and they didn't shoot her. Stabbing somebody is a much more intimate action. And you have to be up close to them. A gun, you could be as far as you want and you can still um, kill them. Mm -hmm. So according to my research, there is a lot that was not done. Uh, There there are questions um, as to if the police really collected all the evidence and did their due diligence as they should have. Uh, But to this day, they have not found the murder weapon um, and they have yet to find the actual murderer. However, there are some thoughts of who have killed Rita and a couple of them are. One, um, neighbors saw two white men leaving Rita's building after 6 p.m. that night. Um, who were the men? Did the police find them? Uh, uh, where were, the, uh, were they friends or friendly with Rita? We don't know. Um, it was reported that for years, Rita had a white, um, a white blonde boyfriend named Bobby. After the murder, he was allegedly never seen again. So could it have been Bobby? Who knows? Um, it could have been, um, it actually could have been a robbery gone wrong since the back door was open. Yeah. Um, for a few weeks before she passed, she allegedly punched somebody in the face at a different bar in the area. Um, and some questioned um, if that was related. Mm. And then five, then obviously it being a hate crime that somebody may have attacked her in shame of his own attraction to trans women. Which so, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Which it could 100% be. Sure. So yeah. now jumping to November 28th of 2023. So 25 years after Rita was murdered, the Boston police sent out a report stating um, that they assigned a new detective, Matthew Fogarty, uh, to Rita's case. Because the case was reopened in 2006. But how was the inv- investigation handled when they were at the scene? D- you know, did they collect? Uh, well, they didn't. That's the thing. They did see. not do their due diligence. So they're working against... Uh, a department 25 years ago who didn't do their job who didn't give a fuck yeah Yeah. so um okay so they named him but in this report unfortunately they didn't dead name rita in this 2023 report they put rita parentheses dead name her last name um which is just extra proof that they still need to do better because at this point why the fuck are you dead naming them um now especially after the the family has had such a hard time with all of that in that they try to work through all of that. Well, I guess the only thing that I would ask is had Rita changed her name legally? Cause I wonder if they have to use the legal name of the, the, the person because it's a legal. Yeah. But it's also like, just, just a report thing. It's just a report oh, out to yeah. the media saying that they're switching. Oh, geez, they're having yeah, a new no. detective. It's, 
Yeah, never mind. it was something that they no. didn't that they didn't need to put her dead name in there. So anyways, um, yeah, they also crazy. have come out to say that the Boston Police Unsolved Homicide Unit is actively reviewing the facts and circumstances surrounding the murder. I mean, hopefully this will bring a new life to the case um, and we can hopefully get some answers. And I do have in here so that if you're listening and you have in any information about what happened to Rita um, the night of November 28th, 1998, please contact the Boston Police Homicide Unit at 617-343-4470. And I have a few interesting facts in here as well. So like I said, Rita's murder inspired transgender Dave Remembrance Mm -hmm. alongside the murders of Chanel Pickett uh, which was in 1995, and Monique Thomas in 1998, um, all happened in Massachusetts. Wow! After the murder of Chanel Pickett, uh, which was obviously before uh, Rita, um, it's quoted in a local paper that Rita said, "I'm afraid of what will happen if it gets off. If he gets off lightly, talking about the person who murdered Chanel." Yeah. Hester, uh, Hester told the paper, um, "It'll just give people a message that it's okay to do this." This is the message we cannot afford to send. Um, and then Rita was murdered three years and eight days later. Jeez. Yeah. Rita's sis, uh, uh, is, is it her sister? Um, Esther, Earth, I'm sorry. Eartha Hester uh, mm. was quoted in an article on The Advocate saying she just happened to be um, a, uh, a star for Transgender Day of Remembrance for a whole lot of other people. And I'm thinking that's really beautiful. Her death was not in vain. She started something that will last forever. Rita's name is known worldwide. Oh. Um, Rita's murder happened just weeks before Matthew Shepard, the killing of Matthew Shepard. Um, but many criticized the community for not holding murders like Rita's in such a high regard as Matthew. Mm-hmm. Um, being that he was a gay man, it's it's sad, but especially the in those times, typical for people, it was typical for te- people to turn a blind eye to any minority group um, and even within yeah. our own minority group, which still happens in media today. It does. Um, and then lastly, yeah. Rita's mom never stopped trying to find out who killed her daughter. Um, Kathleen Hester uh, died in two, uh, 2020 at 81, never finding out who killed her daughter. Oh, Kathleen. Yeah. So that's the story I... of Rita Hessler, um, Rita. which again, I'm glad that we both um, found we a story we about doing... some two badass black Me trans too. women we didn't actually know that we were doing that at all yeah at first we didn't yeah. realize we were doing both um um un, unsolved murders yeah it's interesting too because um obviously we're we lean a little bit more just because we're goofy people in general Murder's not funny but we just happen to be as humans um but this one's a little bit more of a, a serious episode and i think that it's really important that we that we say black trans lives matter yes. right and and we have to as humans and as the community um, fight for those that we love. Well, so. and especially as privileged white gay men, mm-hmm. it, it's, we, we have to be there for the others who aren't well, afforded those, a duty. those yeah, I think that we have a, a duty to leverage the, the privilege that we do have to um, push for true, true equality. And, and, and I, we just have a lot to do, mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of work to do. And it's just, it's, it's horrible. And these are older, um, obviously murders and, and, you know, uh, um, trans uh, people are being murdered every day and, um, and uh, trans people of color at a much higher rate. And so um, it's horrible and fuck all of the people who are pushing these horrible narratives. You know, it's, it's interesting too, because I, I hop on to, 
uh, Twitter sometimes and just to see kind of the landscape of how awful that platform is and it's horrible now. But um, when you're when you're scrolling, you see all these news articles of these pastors at the church being arrested for, you know, having sex with a, a 12 year old. You have all these just all this shit. And it's never our community. You know, it just it's not, I don't know. So it's it's interesting. And, and it actually, even when like Jeffrey Epstein's list came out recently, I don't know if you guys paid attention to that at all. Uh, there were no drag queens on that list. There was no LGBTQ people on that list. So, yeah, but, but you know, we're the um, ones that they say are the ones that are are indoctrinating children and molesting yeah. children and doing all of this shit. When realistically, it's it's not. <laughs> no. Well, and it's funny too because I'm a gay dude. I wasn't indoctrinated into being gay. In fact, no. I was more so indoctrinated to not be. So yeah, absolutely, you know, um, it's interesting, but. Um, yeah, a little bit more of a serious uh, episode in general, which I think that they'll fluctuate all the time. Uh, but I do think that this was a very important topic uh, for us to cover and not the first time we will, uh, because it is very important, especially as we enter this goddamn election year, um, <laughs> this election cycle. And we got to really push for, you know, a lot. But anyway, um, yeah, that was a that was a. A good episode. Thanks for sharing that story, Bran. I wish yeah. that I could hug all of Rita's family. Yeah, know, thank right? you guys. I feel like it's so important to know these people's names and their stories. So I am I feel what's the word? Grateful <laughs> <laughs> that I have you guys to lay it all out for me in that way. Cause Yeah. Well, I love that. I love that you're saying that too, because I think oftentimes I think younger LGBTQ people don't know. I, I think it's important for people to know the history. I yeah. think our community needs to know that history, but I think that everyone needs to know the history. Yeah, for because sure. um, the yeah, the one thing that I think with the younger youth is they don't have to fight for the equalities as hard as mm -hmm. people before them had. So now the this idea of that right feels normal, right? Um, but that right. Uh, those rights are actually being taken away slowly, mm -hmm. right? And so uh, you, you're always going to have to fight for them. They're not, they can go away like that. Yeah. Um, and I think that, so knowing the history um, is important. It's really easy to get complacent. And I hate when people make the argument of like, well, it used to be way worse. So oh be grateful God. that we are where yeah. we are today. And it's like, you're just no. saying that to make, to, to justify yeah, yeah to justify trying to shut people up like yeah which is if, if people up. were saying that 50 years ago because they were like well it used to be worse then we would be where we were 50 years ago yeah 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 100 percent uh yeah yeah well um yeah great episode and uh a couple of notes again uh if you have a hometown murder uh, please send it to us at murder at homicidepodcast.com. Again, you'll be able to join us on the podcast to tell us your hometown murder. Um, you do the work and you tell us and we react and uh, it's fun. So send that on our way. And then remember to subscribe on YouTube or follow um, on wherever you're listening to your podcast, but specifically on Apple and Spotify. And please go rate and review for sure. And if you have anything that you want us to cover um, some sort of a, a murder that's been solved or unsolved back in the day, please send us uh, our way and we'll look at it. So any last closing arguments, friends? 
I don't think so. No. No. Thank you. I love that you're back, Anna. Yay. I'm so happy to be back. <laughs> Me too. And Brandon Linus, I miss you. I miss you too. Oh. I'll get to see you on <laughs> Friday. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, this episode is out on Tuesday, and next week we'll have something a little juicy and fun, uh, which uh, will be very funny. And uh, I think, I mean, they're kind of funny, which is horrible. But um, anyway, again, Homicide the Podcast for the girls, gays, and theys who love true crime and hate the culture of sensationalizing murder. So on that note, bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.